Heavenly Father, um, as we uh, as we hear the gospel today, as I as I share the the word of God, I pray that you would um, pray that you would be with with us, with me, that I would uh, just be faithful and and recognize the right uh, the right way to come at the text and and unpack just kind of the the just wonderful treasures that you have in your word. Um, I pray that you'd be with the folks who are here, and I pray that they would hear from you, um, that you would uh, just touch their hearts and help them to know you more, just just hearing the word um, and hearing uh, hearing the teachings of your son. I pray that folks would uh, just come away from this knowing you better and with a, with a newfound fire in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, last night, actually, this week has been very busy for me. I, I spent most of my week uh, with a cold, which I still have, so um, don't get too close after service, but um, very busy and chasing after one detail after another and driving all over, visiting with people, and, and it's just been a very busy week. And, and yesterday, I, I actually went out and met with a guy in, in Haver, and um, afterward, I came home, and the kids are in bed when I walked in the door, and... And when I walked in, I, I heard they were still awake, and, and Abby yells out, Dad, Titus doesn't have a Mother's Day present for Mom. And I, at that moment, I realized I had figured out, like, getting my wife a gift, and I had this sort of realization that today is Mother's Day, and I hadn't planned, like, meals, and I hadn't planned, you know, to make sure the kids had something for her, and I hadn't planned. Like, all of this planning I usually do, you know, sort of in the last minute, but the last minute the week of, um, I, I realized I had not, I had not done. And so I got to, I got to say, honey, I'm, I'm behind the ball here. You know, I, I've been chasing after this and what I should have been chasing after was this, or I should have figured out a way to do both. And I, I didn't manage it this time. And, and I did get her a gift and it was not a vacuum cleaner. Um, um, but I found that, that, you know, through the course of, of the years that I've been married, I, I have this habit where where I'll forget something important because I'm so busy dealing with everything else, you know, trying to get everything else taken care of, and this one important detail will get forgotten, or um, I'll buy a gift but I'll I'll miss the point. I don't know if any other husbands do this, um, you know, where I'll think this is something she'll love and I fail to think of it from her perspective and I do it wrong. Um, though again, I've never bought a vacuum as a um, anniversary or marriage gift or a birthday gift. Um, as we as we dive into our text today, we're going to be doing the prodigal parables. Um, that's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. Um, and and we're going to try and come at this from a slightly different angle, okay? And so if you've heard the prodigal son story like preached on a million times, um, don't tune out so quick because there's probably some new stuff here. I hope. Um, and and really, where I'm going to start with this is. That, that this series of stories is actually a story or a series of stories about people who miss the point, like who, who aim at the wrong target and hit it perfectly, but they didn't hit the right target. Does that make sense? Um, they, it's a series of stories about, about folks who are chasing the wrong, chasing the wrong goal. And, and so as we go into it, um, I'm going to real quick review because, um, all right, Luke wrote these, and this is actually, we worked through the Great Banquet series last time, this last few sermons, and now we're, the, the next chapter is the Prodigal series, and the Gospel writers did stuff on purpose, 
right? Like we oftentimes will sit down and we'll read it and we read the, the Gospels from a Western mindset. And that's like you read a biography in, in, you know, in our day and age, the assumption is everything is in chronological order, right? Um, the Gospel writers being Easterners, not like Western um, thinkers, didn't do things that way. And some components of the Gospels are chronological and some are not. Got it? Um, they are generally put together in such a way as to make a larger point. Um, and so Luke put these two sets of stories together because there's a bigger point to be made. And, and that's why we're going to come at this the way we are. Um, and so like the previous series, what we started with, um, Jesus was invited to a dinner with, with the Pharisees. And at the beginning of the dinner, they brought in a man who had uh, dropsy. He was uh, maybe like, like had seizures would be the guess. Um, and they, they tried to trick him into healing the man on the Sabbath. Um, it was, hey, let's see what he does on the Sabbath, because the Pharisees had really strict rules about what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. And so they, they brought in this man, and Jesus knew what was going on, and he said, hey, is it okay to do right on the Sabbath? And they didn't answer him because they didn't want to jump into his trap, like they laid a trap for him. We're not going the other way. And he says, well, suppose one of you had a donkey that fell in a ditch. Would you go save it? If, you know, if it was on the Sabbath, or would you let it die? You know, or suppose one of your sons fell in a well. Would you leave him in the well on the Sabbath? Or would you save him because saving your son or saving your donkey just makes sense, and it's not really a violation of the Sabbath? And they wouldn't answer, and so Jesus heals the man and then lays into him, and like the whole rest of the chapter is Jesus just tearing him up, right? Um, and, and in there is like the, the mention of a feast that people were invited to where they came up with excuses not to go. And then he tells a series of stories about like a man who tries to build a tower, but doesn't have the resources to finish the tower. Um, we're going to talk about that briefly as we go. All of this stuff interconnects and Luke does that on purpose. Okay. And, and I'm going to tell you, um, did I jump forward several slides? What just happened? Uh, there we are. Um, so the previous sermon series is important. Um, and then the sequence here, it's a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then a lost son. And, and the sequence is important too, but we'll get to that as the series progresses. A couple of cultural notes. In the ancient world, if you ate a meal with somebody, if you sat down and ate with somebody, it was a sign of approval, right? Um, it was a sign that, hey, these guys, I approve of them socially, um, which is why the, the refusal to go to the great banquet was such a big deal. Because like by not going, they were indicating that they didn't give this wealthy man their seal of approval. Like standing outside of a banquet or refusing to show up was the height of insult. And it was basically saying, you are not valid in our world. Okay? Um, we're going to talk about tax collectors and sinners a little bit today. Um, most of us don't like tax collectors. Amen? Really? No one else? <laughs> you get y'all's accountants. Um, <laughs> in the ancient world, it was significantly worse. Tax collectors were people who um, collected taxes on behalf of a foreign government that had conquered Israel, right? And so, like, not only are they traitors to their nation, um, they were considered to be race traitors because, like, the Jewish people were a separate entity, and to cooperate with the Romans was a big deal. And so, like, if you were the guy who was going to do that nine out of ten times, what were you going to do? 
take as much as you wanted because you had soldiers to reinforce your position. Like if they refused to pay taxes, you could kill one of their children and take whatever you wanted or take one of their children, sell them off as a slave because you could do that. Um, and so people really, really, really hated tax collectors. Um, sinners, the word that's used in this, in this text we're going to look at today, sinners could mean people who live like sort of a sinful lifestyle or it could mean poor people. Kind of one or the other. Um, and it's sort of interchangeable, and we'll get to why that matters in a second. Um, last thing we're going to talk about is sheep. Um, we, sheep are not as big a deal nowadays, right? Most people don't eat sheep because they don't taste very good. Um, in the ancient world, they were a big deal because they could live on garbage, right? Like you could feed them almost nothing, and they did very well, and they were easy to raise in the desert. And they were small enough that if you slaughtered one, you could eat it before the meat went bad, right? Whereas like... I don't know, Mark could probably finish a whole cow <laughs> without refrigeration, but like most of us can't, right? And most of us don't have a family quite that big. And so sheep were kind of the backbone of the economy, and you got everything from a sheep, even the tail. Like sheep tails could weigh like 10 pounds, and you got all kinds of money off of the tail of a sheep because of the fat that was on it and everything else. It was crazy how thoroughly they utilized sheep. And the amount of sheep you had was sort of a social status. The average person would have about 7 to 12 sheep, which was considered to be a lot, right? If you had, say, a hundred of them, you were unbelievably wealthy, right? That is wealthy beyond, like, the scope. Um, all right, so this series, I'm not sure what it's going to look like. It's all about the prodigal son. We're going to get there eventually, right? Um, but there's so much to unpack. I, I'm studying this this week has been a huge, like, exciting time for me because um, there's so much more to it that I didn't understand. And I'm hoping I can bring some cool stuff for y'all, Okay. Everybody still with me? It's now 10 minutes in, and I'm about to start on the text. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Now, real quick to back up, um, the previous chapter began with the Pharisees had all gathered up to spend time with Jesus, right? And Jesus is, in in the next text, we're going to say, like, oh, they're eating a meal with him. Right, which is actually, I'll just do that real quick. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he's eating a meal with them. Well, the previous set of narrative began with Jesus eating with the religious well to do, the, the, the good guys, right? The, the church heroes. Um, and he's eating with those folks, and they're complaining about Jesus already. And the next section starts with Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, right? And so there's a parallel, right? But that's not the only parallel. Um, we go on from there. The next parallel we're going to draw out here. Watch this. Um, at the end of chapter 14, which is uh, last week, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? And what we talked about with that is this idea that the Pharisees might have loved God at one point. They might have chased after God, and they came up with all of these rules and regulations as a way of knowing God. But they forgot to love God anymore, and they fell away. And instead of loving God, they loved their rules, and they loved how awesome it made them look that they followed rules better than anyone else. And that became sort of their stock and trade as people. This was their claim to fame is, we're building a tower on our own effort, right? Which is from the previous sermon, that parable about the tower. Um, But in reality, they were never going to get there. Um, In reality, they could never be good enough. And so they were salt that had lost its saltiness because they had failed to love God. They'd fallen away from that. If it has no, excuse me, it has no use either for the soil or for the manure pile, it is thrown away. 
He who has ears, let him hear. Now we end with that, and it almost seems like it's a phrase that Jesus uses sometimes. Holy Spirit is in you, you will hear me, kind of thing is what he's saying. But then the next verse is, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Ooh. Now the Pharisees couldn't hear a word they were, that Jesus said. They heard him, but they didn't understand it. But who is understanding? The throwaways, right? The traitors and the sinners and the wicked folks are drawing near to hear him. And Luke does this on purpose. There's no way he would do like that one sentence to the next without it being on purpose. Um, and the point being, the Pharisees don't hear. They are lost, but they think they're not. The sinners are coming near to Jesus, and they're hearing him, and they're excited by what they're hearing. And Jesus actually eats with them and gives them sort of this tacit approval and everything else. And, like, it is a big deal to these guys. What Jesus is doing is, for the, for the sinful folks, the folks who believe that God probably hates them, man, it's enormous, right? And for the religious people, they're looking and saying, well, wait a minute, he's not following our rules. He's not playing our game. And... Jesus knows what's going on. The Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling and saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, real quick, this is a phrase that the Pharisees were grumbling is sort of a repeating phrase um, in Luke's gospel. And he does it because the Pharisees are kind of the whipping boy of this book, um, but also because he wants to make the point to the reader, you cannot earn your way to heaven, right? You cannot be holy enough on your own to, to be acceptable to God. You cannot build a tower to heaven. If God shows up with an army and you think you're going to take your righteousness out and fight him, you better think again and make peace with him because you're going to lose, right? So as we get to this, this this man receives... By the way, this man is a very unique phrase. We see it twice in the book of Luke, right here, this man, and it's said in a very condescending, like mocking way. And we also see it in the parable of the man who built the tower in the preceding section, right? And it's this man tried to build a tower, and he ran out of money. Look, he's stupid. Um, Luke is making fun of them, right? He's very intentionally making fun of them, because these are people who are trying to build their way to God, but they can't do it on their own, and they're going to fail. And so, like, it's this mockery of them. So we go on. Oh, we're going to skip that one. We'll do that in a later week, I decided. Um, so he told them this parable. Now Jesus turns around and he turns it back on them and understand the entire section we're going to read here in Greek is one long sentence, right? In school, you used to get a red mark for that. You all know what I'm talking about? Cause it's a run on sentence in Greek. It's not a run on sentence because Greek is a horrible language. Um, <laughs> What happens in Greek is you'll have a main idea and every subclause, like all ten pages of them, and you'll see that in Paul's writing, where Paul will have like a point and then like six pages of sentence. And like at the end of it, like every piece of the sentence adjusts the meaning of the central like like statement, which is why translating Greek can be a real, real chore, because you have to like diagram sentences because like all of these things will change the meaning of a word and Anyway, so this is all one sentence, and it is all a question. That's important. Think about that. He's asking them a long, long, long question. So he says, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave his ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Now watch this. In the previous section, he started with, 
hey, is it okay for me to heal this man on the Sabbath? And they won't answer because they don't want him to break their Sabbath rules. And then he says, well, wait a minute. What if you had a donkey that fell in a well or a sheep that wandered off? Wouldn't you find him on the Sabbath? And so we got a parallel here again because Luke wants us to understand this story. It's about the lost sheep, but it's about the Pharisees more than it's about the lost sheep. Are you all hearing me? Like he's taking a big coordinated like slap at them. Um, and so, all right, we have this man who has 100 sheep. He is very wealthy, and he loses one. Real quick, real quick, real quick. It doesn't say who watches the sheep while he goes out and looks. It, it just says 99 sheep, leaves them, goes and looks. doesn't matter who, like, watches them because it's not the point of the message. Um, but some folks will turn that into this huge thing. It's not about the huge thing. It's about um, the search. So the owner of these sheep, who has ownership of these sheep, um, like he has special connection to these sheep, right? He goes out and he looks. And he's going to look harder because they're his, right? Um, we had a dog that got out of the house while people were watching the house. Like when we owned our, our house in Indiana and we lived there, we were crazy about watching our animals, right? Because we lived on a highway. If a dog got out, he could be hit by a car and killed. Right, And we were on vacation once, and we had these people we trusted who were watching the house for the very last time we ever had them do that. And they left us a phone message. Hey, we were out, and the dog got out, and he got hit by a car. But don't worry, he got up and ran off again. We couldn't find him, but he's around. Um, (laughs) What? And my wife and I had a heart attack. And they looked for him for a little while, but they had other stuff on their schedule, and so they just let the dog go. If it was us, we wouldn't have stopped looking, right? Because it's our dog. Um, in this case, these people stopped because it wasn't their dog. They didn't care that much, right? It just wasn't that big a deal to them. But this man searches for the sheep because it's his, because it matters. And you might say, well, it's just a sheep. Like, you know, I, I'm sure you lose a cow. It's an unfortunate thing. But, you know, it's a cow. It's not like it's a pet. In the ancient world, if you were a shepherd, you spent so much time with your sheep that they learned your voice. In fact, I watched a video um, about, like, sheep in the Middle East today where people will go out and they try to, like, substitute in a new shepherd who knew the names of the sheep because they would name all of them. And he would call out to the sheep by name and give them commands the way the regular shepherd did. And the sheep wouldn't obey because sheep actually learn the voice of their shepherd and they obey their shepherd. Isn't that crazy? Um, this guy goes and searches because they're his, and he's probably heavily connected to them, and they've learned his voice. He's reined, raised them from babies, and it's a significant financial like like investment, except that he's got 100. He's super wealthy. Um, so he leaves them in the open country, which, by the way, basically means in the desert, because everything's the desert, um, and he goes after it, the one that's lost, until he finds it. Um, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Now, I'm going to give a quick aside. There is a popular preaching story, right? Um, And and I've actually used it before. I think I use it here, and that's why I'm clarifying, because it's not true. Um, That says, uh, oh, he goes out and he finds the sheep, and he breaks the sheep's leg, and he carries it back so it can't escape again. And while he's nursing it back to health, the sheep will learn his voice, and it will come to trust him. Um, it's actually not true. It was made up in the 1950s by some guy who wrote it in his book, and then some other guy picked it up and put it in a popular preaching volume like of illustrations. It's, not, it's just not true. Because sheep in the ancient world weighed about 80 pounds. If you were going to break an animal's leg and carry it for, you know, what, six weeks until it healed, an 80-pound sheep would not be the right one to do that with. Everybody with me? The reason he carries it back is because sheep are dumb. 
right? And they are very social. And so in a group, sheep will walk together. However, if a sheep wanders off because it's so social and it needs the other sheep around it to be oriented, it becomes disoriented and it will not follow a shepherd back. It gets lost and it gets disoriented because it's dumb as a sack of hammers and it just will hang out there. And the only way to get the sheep to come back is to pick it up and throw it over your shoulders and carry it back. Um, and so why does he carry it back? He carries it back because he can't do it on its own. Now, real quick, there's a great gospel bit here, right? Um, every one of us, right? Every one of us, every one of us is like sheep. Um, the scriptures describe us this way over and over again. I'm not saying that you all smell bad. I'm not saying that you're all dumb. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying that every one of us is like sheep in the sense that we all have the capacity to wander off. Y'all with me? And some of you might say, well, but I've attended church my whole life and I've done everything perfect and all this. Um, In reality, like Jesus died for you regardless of how perfect you think your life has been, right? Um, And he died for you because you needed him to die for you. Um, When he carries the sheep back, the sheep ain't walking back on its own. He's literally picking it up and throwing it over his shoulders and carrying it back because we are so helpless in our sin that apart from Jesus carrying us to salvation, we can't get there. I cannot build a tower tall enough of my own righteousness to be acceptable to God. I cannot be polite enough. I can't avoid swearing enough. I can't skip R-rated movies long enough. I can't, you know, all of those things. Bring the best salad to the graduation service. Like, like I can't do enough to earn heaven. I need Jesus to find me and carry me back. And this is actually an assumed truth in Luke's gospel. Luke pushes this idea over and over again. We see it in Acts as well, where all people are like sheep who've gone astray. Um, all people stumble, all people are lost, all people need Jesus to save them. Um, There's no other way. And so he throws the sheep on his shoulders and carries it back, and he rejoices all along the way, celebrates. He's very excited and very happy um, to have found this sheep. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Um, not only does he find it and rejoice that he has it, he gathers friends together to have a party. Now, here's the cool thing about this. Um, This is a sentence in, like, I think this is the um, ESV. In most modern translations, it is written as a sentence. This is a question in reality. In, In Greek, this is a question. And he has asked them, hey, if you lost a sheep, wouldn't you leave the rest of them and go out and look and keep looking until you found it? And once you found it, you'd throw it on your shoulders. And then wouldn't you bring it home and have a party because you were so excited that you found it? And so, like, he's asking the Pharisees a question. They're watching Jesus eat with these bad people, and they're, you know, "Mm, I can't believe he's associating with these scummy people. I can't believe he talked to these wicked people. I can't believe, you know, these people are listening to the gospel, right? Because he ended the last section. Luke ended the last section. He who has ears, let them hear. And then he tacks this up. Oh, the people who were hearing were the sinners. Were hearing were the the tax collectors, the traitors. Um, And then he says, hey, wouldn't you be excited if you lost a sheep and found it again? Wouldn't you be excited if you brought back this lost animal? Um, Of course, we know that the next story is about the coin. And then the last one's about the son, right? How many, anybody not know the story of the prodigal son? There's a son who goes to his father and says, Dad, 
I wish you were dead. And since I wish you were dead, can you give me my inheritance now? (laughs) What? (laughs) And the father gives him his inheritance and he runs off and spends it all on like wild living and prostitutes and everything else. And having done that, he comes back like destitute and, and the father sees him coming. He's ready with a speech about I'm a horrible person. Make me a slave and all this other things. And the father runs out to greet him and throws a coat on him and gives him a ring and marches him through town celebrating. My son came back. My son came back. And he throws a party in the end. And like Jesus isn't asking about sheep, obviously, right? This is an argument. It's called from the lesser to the greater. It's a Jewish uh, rabbis would use this kind of as an argument trick. From the lesser to the greater. The lesser is, if you had an animal that wandered off and got lost, wouldn't you have a party when you found it? Wouldn't you celebrate when you found it? Um, And the answer, of course, is yes. Wouldn't you? I mean, I I don't know. How much is a cow worth? Quite a bit, right? Let's take it another step. How about a cow that you, like I I watch, uh, we we spent some time with the Bitses, and I watch Ann feeding calves with with a bottle. How much is a cow that you've tended worth? How much is a cow you've taken care of worth? Um, Jesus is asking, how much is the sheep actually actually worth? Um, We get to the last line here, verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Um, The phrase, there will be more joy in heaven, is basically saying God rejoices. Like, God rejoices when sinners come back. God rejoices when sinners repent. God rejoices. Now, this appears to be the moral of the story, and it is the moral of the parable, but it's also a reprimand to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are watching sinners repent. They're watching wicked people come back to Jesus, right? They're watching these people here, and they don't care what God wants, right? They don't care that God is celebrating that these folks are here. They don't care, like in another spot in Luke, Jesus says, hey, you know, the Pharisees are grumbling because he's eating with sinners. And Jesus responds, he says, hey, you know what? It's not the healthy that need the doctor. I've come to save the sick and the lost. Um, They don't care that Jesus came to save these sick and lost people. They don't care. Um, They're not celebrating about the things that Jesus is celebrating about. They're not celebrating the things that God is celebrating about because... They don't care. Um, I was super blessed recently um, when we did that that service, the the ordination service, because so many people came out and celebrated with us. And I I was humbled by it um, because folks came out and celebrated and were happy for us, right? And and Mother's Day, we've got all these folks who are here celebrating mothers, right? Um, Because they they recognize what what makes mom happy is what makes us happy today, right? You know, make a big deal out of that. And it should be that way every day. Um, these are folks who don't understand what makes God happy. Their hearts aren't in harmony with God. They are out of harmony with God. This whole story of the sheep is about the Pharisees not celebrating. About the fact that they just don't care. They're the religious leader. They're the folks who are like supposed to be drawing people closer to God. And instead they're creating walls to push them away. Um, in a few weeks we're going to talk about Ezekiel 34, which is I was going to incorporate into this, but it would have added about a half hour to the sermon length. Um, and the point of that would be like, like, well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to dive into that. Um, 
I said I took it out so that we wouldn't. Instead, the Pharisees are aiming toward the wrong target. Um, I, wa- I read a story about, uh, let me look at the guy's name so I get it right, Matt Emmons. Anybody know who this guy is? Matt Emmons? Almost won a gold medal in shooting in the Olympics in 2004. He was like, like silver and gold neck and neck, and he lines up at the target with his, with his 50 caliber air rifle. I didn't even know they made air rifles that big. It's ridiculous. Um, he lines up at the target with the air rifle, and he shoots and hits it dead center for the last shot of the Olympics, right? And it looks like he's going to win a gold medal. And instead of getting the gold medal, it reports him as having missed the target entirely. And there's all kinds of grumbling from the audience. And, and he looks, and you can see him shocked in the video. And he looks, and he realizes that he was standing in one lane, and he shot the target in the next lane. Like he picked up his rifle and aimed, and he hit the wrong target entirely. Um, and even though it was a beautiful, perfect shot, it didn't matter how good it was. He hit the wrong target. This is who the Pharisees are, and that's what they're doing here. And that's what Jesus is saying to him. He's like, look, you're aiming at the wrong target, folks. Celebrate with me. Like the lost sheep is found. They're coming back to God. Celebrate with him. Um, what do we do with this? Well, first off, we have to look at ourselves. Like if you, if you were the lost sheep, understand... Like, God is looking for you. And you cannot wander far enough that he will not go and find you. That's awesome, right? And that's usually sort of the focal point of the story. But beyond that, if you're sitting here and you are, you're not the person who celebrates with God. You're not the person who's overjoyed when a broken man is made whole again. If you're not the person who celebrates when a sinner is saved. If you're not the person who celebrates when when the heart of a man is like made right with Christ or, or, or what have you, like if that is not who you are, you're shooting at the wrong target. Because your heart, like as you are saved, as you come to love God and know him, it changes you into the kind of person who loves God and loves what he loves, right? I, I love my wife. It makes me happier than anything when she's happy. Right? My favorite thing in life right now is watching her as a mom with Titus. Is there something about Titus that just, like, tickles her fancy? You know what I mean? And he'll do something, and she'll get this smile that I never see any other time, right? And it just it melts my heart. It's like the highlight of my life right now is watching. It's like I feel like I'm bird watching some days, just waiting for Titus to do something goofy so she can react to him because he's got her kind of wrapped around his finger. He does. Um, we should love God like that. Where when God is overjoyed, we're overjoyed. When God is brokenhearted, we're brokenhearted. When we see somebody who's wandered far away, instead of shaking our finger and looking down on them and standing in judgment, we should back up and recognize, like with a broken heart, oh my gosh, this is somebody God lost and wants back desperately. And you look at your neighbor who, who you know, doesn't know Jesus, like you should look at them and with a broken heart pray for them. You know, like this is what we're called to do, to have hearts like Jesus, to have hearts like God. It's why the Pharisees won't show up to the banquet. It's why they won't show up um, and love God. It's why they rejected Jesus and crucified him ultimately, because they didn't rejoice with him. Um, We're going to close in prayer. My challenge to you this week as you leave today is look at your heart and look at your life and ask, like, am I celebrating what Jesus celebrates? This story actually gets better. I'm, I'm really excited about this series. Like, like I am really excited. And if you're interested in reading the book that I'm basing a lot of this on, ask me and I'll give you the title. Or I'll even order you a copy if you promise to read it. Um, but 
But as you walk out of here today, ask yourself, like, where's my heart at? Do I celebrate with Jesus? Am I excited when people are saved? Am I broken when people are lost? Do I chase after lost people with my Savior, like trying to bring them back? Um, Where am I at? Let's close in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today, Lord. Some of us, um, you know, we're like children crying in service some days. We, we, uh, we just don't hear you, um, Lord God. But we celebrate that those folks are here, and we celebrate that we're all here. Help us, to, help us to be people who set our eyes on you. Help us to be people who, who um, celebrate when the broken are saved. Help us to be people who rejoice when the lost are brought back. Help us to be people who mourn when you mourn. Father God, I thank you for the blessing that is Jesus. I thank you that you went so far to collect us back up, um, that you went so far to save us. In Jesus' name, amen.